1: What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This week, I am talking to Casey Cavalier from the Wonder Years and the Record Process Podcast. It's a great show, and his band is absolutely fantastic. They play in the pop punk side of things. I know we've been dabbling in the heavier music side for quite a while. This time, we're bringing it back to the lighter side a little bit. And I would say, As far as songwriting and performance goes, they're arguably one of the best to ever do it. Really, really cool to get to talk to Casey, and it was really cool to get to chat with him both on and off the air to get a little glimpse at how this dude's brain works. He's wired a little differently, and I really like that because, well, quite frankly, so am I. So birds of a feather and all that. We got along famously, and we had a really, really great chat, and we get pretty gear heavy towards the end. So if that's what you're here for, that's where that is. But all of the chat leading up to it was really awesome. I think you're going to enjoy this. So without further ado, let's get into this episode with Casey Cavalier. Here we go. welcome back to another episode of the tone mob podcast the show about guitar stuff occasionally sometimes i'm your host blake wyland with me today i have casey cavalier of the wonder years
2: and the record process podcast what is going on dude oh man so much and yet nothing at all uh, I'm in a great place I'm having a, a lovely day today super excited to be here uh honestly and, and yes you I loved how the record process was kind of like almost like a question in the record process a little bit of mystique there yeah which I which I actually love
1: <laughs> I, it was mostly because I almost said the wrong word at the last uh, I, call, I was gonna say, I don't know what other P word I know. I know, gonna say, I know my what brain you did. failed. Yeah, a little bit. yeah. Um,
2: maybe <laughs> you know what? I'll take credit and say that's why we named it as such. Kind of like, is it Colbert Report or is it Colbert Report? Uh, mm. We get that a lot too. It's like, is it is it the record? I'm like, no. Uh, but maybe I, it's whatever you want it to be, really. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> no, that's like it. yeah, man.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, dude, uh, this is really exciting. I've ob- I've obviously. I followed your band for quite a while, so it was cool to see you pop up in my IG. I was like, hey, look at this guy. And I didn't even know about the podcast at the time, so I've been checking that out, and it's a really good show. And that's why I was like, hey, man, why don't you just come on,
2: and we'll nerd out together. We'll have a good time. Oh, an offer I couldn't refuse. Thanks, man. Yeah, (laughs) Um, and likewise, yeah, we were just talking. You've built an incredible show here. It's very cool to be a part of it. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, you're you're on your way yourself, which is uh, really cool. And I want to get into all that. And maybe this is a little bit too early to ask that question, but what? Obviously, you've been in a successful band, which is really cool. But what made you want to get into podcasting?
2: Well. I, I guess the easy short uh, answer that's not a great podcast answer because it would just end immediately would be uh, <laughs> the free time that a global pandemic afforded me mm-hmm. however <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know the longer and more thought out answer because I, I do tend to be somewhat of a of an analytical um, person and, and always kind of at least try to have some substance behind something uh, I didn't just want to Throw my hat in the ring and just make and put another podcast uh, on the platforms just to take up space, right? Um, but uh, the primary uh impetus of it was that my studio partner um, and co host of the record process, Mr. Tom Conran, who's an incredible engineer and acoustician and just generally uh, brilliantly creative mind, um. Him and I own a a small studio space called True Level Studio that's in Blackwood, New Jersey, just outside of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And in the process of putting that room together, um, we uh, not only became really close friends, but also would have some really great conversations just about our general day-to-day process and the records we were putting together, the records we were working on together, and the kind of studio lore of what other people had done, you know, in records past and, and or what we heard rumors of people doing uh, in, you know, kind of current times in the studio and and how it all comes together. And both of us being musicians, as you mentioned, uh, I play in a band called the wonder years and we've done like seven plus studio full lengths on top of a bunch of other, um, you know, studio EPs and and rarities and stuff like that over the years. So had had, uh, you know, my own personal experiences being on that side of the glass as well. And, uh, we just found it really fascinating that there's always something to kind of inspire you with something new to try or keep you kind of forging ahead, um, creatively, maybe in a lull where frustration or what, uh, what an author by the name of Stephen Pressfield might call resistance, uh, Mm -hmm. as a creative, you know, uh, some people might know it as uh, a number of other names, whether it be depression or, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, um, a general funk, uh, or writer's block, but, um, you know, so I just became fascinated with that, talking through it, different ideas, and we decided, hey, what if we just kind of record this and talk through the process, uh, or at least to us, how we've seen it play out of making records, and, and it kind of started with uh, with us just going through a series of about twenty episodes where we went through, you know, kind of the the inspirational uh, lead up to making a record, the writing of it, the pre production. The actual tracking phase of it and then kind of editing mixing mastering all the way through to release and and it was a cool exercise for us um to do and put that together and then we really started to find our footing with it and realized okay well where do we go now? It's like, there's a kind of an endless list of stories that are both being created as we speak by friends of ours, uh, musicians and other producers and, and engineers, and also that have already kind of inspired a ton of music in their own right, um, from the past. So we were like, well, let's, let's go find those stories and, mm-hmm. and bring them on here. And that was, that was it, man. And it's been a, an incredibly wild ride where, uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier to you, we're going into, um, the the last episode as we record this actually the last episode track 12 if you will of the (laughs) season four album and we we've structured it like that almost to kind of mirror uh, a record track listing format in its own way um and kind of pull some some really cool overarching themes into each season but it's been a blast and it's awesome the amount of people that I've met the amount of cool conversations. I mean, I don't need to tell that to you. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Yeah. we were talking about, you know, just what an incredibly inspiring path it is, but it's, um, in its own way, I-, I felt like I was starting over again with like being in like a DIY band and trying to figure out how to like build it up, what, what it is, what it wants to be, what it's good at. Um, and what, what people like it, (laughs) if people like it and gravitate towards it and what people get out of it in the same way you kind of learn those things as a band. So it's drawn some really cool parallels, especially now, like two decades into a a career with wonder years. Um, It's something really cool and special that I, I have so much fun building.
1: It's one thing that I've noticed in talking to guys from bands is that there is so much crossover Not in the actual product. I mean, I guess these days they're both digital audio audio files, but not in the way they're created necessarily, but almost everything else surrounding it has so much crossover. It's kind of wild. I mean, so much that I decided to put my first
2: solo record out as a podcast episode first. So it was like, <laughs> dude, that's brilliant. I, I don't I love that why so not? much. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's amazing. And I, mm. and I, you're totally right. And that's actually what I find really interesting and shocking. I think some people would be, um, some people would, kind of, I'm sure people would have a, a number of opinions, but if they saw me like recording the intros and the bumpers and kind of trying to like sketch out, uh, the way I present each interview, uh i love it i i actually i like when i'm recording if anybody has listened to the show or goes and checks out an episode after this you'll see that like the the way the intro is kind of curated and every you know every podcast you do an intro this is the guest and then maybe you do an outro you talk about your sponsor whatever it is mm-hmm. um for ours i wanted to you know i've always had like that introspective like let me decompress and really think take that in and, and download, um, and, uh, kind of ruminate on what I just got from that conversation and, and a really inspiring person, mm-hmm. um, and what they had to say about their, their journey. And so I, I kind of, you know, sum up a bit of my thoughts and what I, what I took away from knowing that person and hearing the story again. And the way I do it is I go back and I kind of, you know, listen through to these timestamps and I feel like I get inspired all over again. And I actually have the background music and I'm tracking it at a certain point. I'm like, it almost feels like there's a lyricalness. Um, not that I'm speaking in like poetic phrases or couplets or something, right? But it almost feels like I love just talking with that kind of background music going. I was like, man, that's the same, same feeling I get when I'm recording in the studio. You know, mm-hmm. when I when I'm listening back to what my other band members have put down and responding to it. Uh and I I loved, I loved pulling that parallel and realizing that and having that hit me. You and know, I'm like, man. Yeah, this is fun. You know, Um, I love it. It's doing what I I didn't realize I was as kind of like a, a, an avid like self improver and someone that's always trying to, you know, read books to learn more about myself and, you know, the way to go about things and and to view the world around you. And um, man, it's yeah, it's, it's fulfilling for sure. But it's there are tons of parallels for sure one thing I was thinking of while you were talking about that is
1: uh, you could do what I've done on steroids because of the access to all these rad musicians you've worked with. (laughs) So I did, I did that record on my own, put that out and it was all, it also was fit very well for a podcast because it was 45 minutes. It was all designed to be listened to in one go. Beautiful. You know, so it was kind of a, a different thing than a typical record, but I had my friend Devon on and he, he had three unreleased songs that we put out on the podcast. But what we did is we put out the song in the, on the podcast and we talked about it afterwards or beforehand. I can't remember how we did it. Maybe we did it beforehand and then played the song. But we did these three different songs, debuted them on the show for the first time, and was able to break them down in real time with the person that actually made them. Wow. And, like You could totally
2: do that. You know what? I mean, it's it's almost exactly in in its own way what we've evolved into and what I kind of love. Like I mentioned, it's almost like a – uh a meta a metaphor of a record with each season uh and believe me what's interesting and i love to hear you say that because it reaffirms a lot of the ideas that actually right after this i'm about to go in and talk to the rest of my team about for the next upcoming seasons so um i love that and how timely that is but that's such a great idea and such a cool way to kind of take a new perspective and and look at a record and how you release it through a new lens man that's I, i mean that's awesome and i think ultimately what I, what I found, I really love about the podcast format itself. And specifically when it comes to talking about music and highlighting those really cool stories and pieces of music, uh, is it's a really unfiltered way of kind of getting a one-on-one take. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, in like a group setting or even like a live show, it's, there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of people, it's this communal energy, but, um, but I've always like, I've always felt that I, gravitate towards a space where I feel much comfortable in a one-on-one conversation. I get more out of it. I can focus on, I can really take it in. So, Mm -hmm. um, so I love that. And that's such a cool way for people to present your music and your stuff because it allows you to, it's almost like the, the extended like commentary version of a documentary or something, you know? Um, but via this format that's already here and and has people, you know, comfortable and that are willing to also listen and digest things in a longer format, Mm -hmm. which I think is increasingly rare (laughs) in the, in the era in which we live. So, you know, um that's that's brilliant man i look forward to um see what your audience thinks i had the idea of uh possibly presenting andor it feels like there's writing on the wall here with tone mob and record process for the first ever podcast split 7 inch i don't know i just ah, said it out loud um i like that if somebody's listening and steals that idea i'll be sad but also enjoy um cuz <laughs> if blake and i can't uh, can't beat you to it then that's our fault but um Yeah, man, that's wow. Unbelievable. Uh, I love to hear that.
1: Well, it's it's actually funny that you say that because I have spun this idea to a few of like now I didn't I didn't realize it at the time. But now I'm realizing we have some mutual friends and I've spun this exact idea to some of them before. And I kind of got met with like, oh, that's a cool idea, but I don't know. So I'm going to I'm going to hit you with it because this is I genuinely believe in this idea. And I'm the only one that's really done it, but I'm so small that it doesn't. As an artist, it doesn't matter so much. But I've I've long said that if Taylor Swift takes an album, her next album, and instead of releasing it via traditional streaming platforms first, she releases it as its own podcast. She could break the tracks down as episodes, or she could do it all one. There's any number of ways that somebody could could do that, right? But if you think about it, half the time people are listening to them, not only on the same devices, but they're listening to them on the same platforms in this case, Spotify. Yeah. So if Taylor Swift releases her next album as a podcast and say gets, I don't know, Pepsi to sponsor it or something, I think that changes the release, the releasing of records permanently overnight because it would put so much more power back into the hands of the artists being able to dictate the terms of their own deals and release it on their own schedule in their own way just on an rss feed i'm like man somebody needs to do this it's not me <laughs> <Because> <laughs> well, somebody who has a big audience needs to do this you know well listen honestly
2: honestly big or small i think it's a really incredible way to think about things Um uh, from a promotional standpoint, from a, you know, from a branding standpoint and, and all the nice, uh, nice good music industry buzzwords. But ultimately, um, for me, I think the challenge now in, and I work with a lot of independent artists as like a, an artist coach and, um, you know, kind of like growth mentor in a lot of lanes, uh, that was kind of like a, uh, an unintended, um, consequence of bands that I would work with in the studio kind of hitting me up for, uh, advice on how to release and roll stuff out. That's that's funny. I I um, had a similar journey with like guitar gear companies. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, man. And so, um, and I still do it to this day and, and it kind of the, the pandemic, much like a lot of things presented a lane that really supercharged that because it was something I can do via zoom or Riverside, you know, um, Mm -hmm. uh, on like kind of a, an hourly project basis. But anyway, um, the one thing that I find myself talking a lot about is, you know, people are like, well, I just can't get people to care about my music. Like, you know what I mean? There's so much of it out there. Like I'm nobody, why should they give it? And, you know, the answer to that a lot of times is a story that's, that's more than just, Hey, you know, and a story that's more than an ask. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's like a lot of people are out there saying, please listen to my song, please pre-save my song, please follow my band whatever it might be. And yeah, that's, you know, that is valid. You got to ask if you, you know, if you want someone to participate a lot of times. But I think an even better way is helping people understand how it relates to them and why it's worth the buy-in to spend the time. Mm-hmm. And delivering something like that is delivering uh context around a record, which I think a lot of times is something that it's not easy to deliver outside of just getting someone okay They heard of the band, but maybe they don't care. There's nothing qualifying it. It's not coming from a recommendation from a friend or whatever. Um, And to really get to the depth behind the music, behind the songwriting, behind the narrative, they'd have to go read like two, three articles or press write-ups on blogs or online forums that – that most of the audiences and listeners are not necessarily gravitating to or finding new music on right mm-hmm. um, a lot of the clicks that are coming through are people that are clicking because they know the artist already and want to know more right um, so it's it's a it's an incredible way to to kind of present that in a, an episodic form present its own story right it's like uh-huh. here's you know here's a painting and then here's the novel that led you to the painting behind the painting. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a really cool complimentary way of, you know, someone's going to come out of that. If you get someone to sit down and listen to a new record that they get recommended, they'll, they'll probably know right off the bat if, if they're, if it's going to be worth the second listen. Right. But if you get someone to sit down, listen to a record and then listen to the artist and people around that community that were involved in the making of that, give you some of that real inside baseball on an out of the box kind of record you've gone from just like kind of like top level okay i'm a, i'm familiar with this record to i'm actually obsessed with this record and it is the most powerful record i've listened to in the last 5 years right mm-hmm. you know you go to a, a very different place in a very different Uh, audience participant in your music very quickly, even if you're very small, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. the kind of thing where people are going to be so motivated to be like this band that nobody has heard of just put out the best record I've listened to in my last 10 years of hearing new music. That's a pretty powerful statement. That's a remarkable, so it's worth remarking about in that way. And, um, and also it's like, if you deliver it in a platform that makes that kind of remarking easy, if it's podcast, if it's you know social media, it's very easy to share those things and be like, "Go listen to this podcast." Most mm-hmm. people are probably have the app and are at least willing to subscribe and download those for a plane ride. You know, sure. So yeah, um, that's that's a great idea. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't push back. I'd say sure. There's some questions to be answered on on how to do it best. Of but I yeah, yeah I, I think it's I think it's great. Um, and I'd be highly interested to see someone doing it and how they choose to present it. Yeah, it it worked for me,
1: and I feel feel like if it worked for me, then it would work for somebody who's more well-established as an artist even better, right? Yeah. And some of the things you were saying there really resonated with me, and it kind of made me reflect on my own path a little bit. Nobody knew who I was. We talked about this. You're like, where did you come from? I'm like, I came from underneath a truck. Uh, like you know <laughs> literally yeah and the but the reason people cared enough to give it a click and then stick around once they decided they did like it was because they're like well I like that pedal company or I like you know that brand I like that person that they're talking to so I don't know who this Blake guy is but I want to go find out more about this thing that I do like you know this thing yeah. I do care about and then for some people That was enough to they decide they like my style or whatever, and they stuck around with it. But the hook wasn't me. The hook was something else. And sometimes when you're an unknown band, you need to find a hook to get people in. It's like, oh, this hardcore band, you know, that makes a lot of sci-fi references or something. Oh, I like sci-fi and I like hardcore. I'll check that out. Versus this hardcore band just put out a really great record. It's like, well, there's lots of hardcore bands that have put out really great records. Yeah. And it can be hard to cut through the noise. You know, unless you hear about them over and over again, then that'll maybe sometimes get get people to click. But if you have something that people can like tangentially like latch on to outside of the record itself. And I'm not saying like to be like super gimmicky or anything, but if there is something else that people can relate to, then they're going to click on it more. Or they're going to be
2: more likely to click on it if there's also something else that they can. It resonate with a hundred percent, man. And I think for, for you and this show and, and any show like it, um, a lot of times, yeah, it's like, if you maybe don't know the host, I'm sure people. And uh, surprisingly, so sometimes, uh, have come into our show and been like, I don't get it. Like, why is this guy talking so much? It's like, well, cause that's the one episode where I'm actually talking with the person about my band's record that they mixed and getting like a very different dynamic, but they didn't know that. And they're like, man, I, I wish that host wouldn't have talked. It was like, that's fair. (laughs) You know, um, Mm -hmm. you came in for the guest, and that was, that was a good lesson, right? Um, that, uh, that if I'm going to do that, I got to make it way more apparent because somebody else might come in. But on the flip side of it, if somebody doesn't know me, the best way to resonate is not by like telling my story every show, right? You're, you're meeting those people where they are. And in this case, you're asking the same questions that they would want to ask, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're having the same kind of thoughts and and curiosities that that's what they resonate with you as a host, as a person, as a gear guy that resonate with your love and enthusiasm about it. And I think that more than anything is you're, you know, and a a great example of you're going, you're going out and meeting people where they are. Right. And, and if where they are is in a gear space and a gear community that has a lot of questions and is constantly searching for new things, right. Um, then you're, you're already kind of speaking their language. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, so, th- so they have an in to be like, this guy gets it. I, I like his pick on gear candy, you know, like, uh, yeah, you know, whatever it is. So, um, so that's probably, that's probably got a lot to do with it, man. But, uh, but that's, that's cool. Yeah it's it's a
1: it's a weird thing to to think about and try to analyze like why like once something has worked in at whatever level that means to you to analyze like what why did it work you know what was it about it you know cuz so much of this is just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks
2: truthfully Which is never ending, truly. (laughs) You never stop doing that. And I don't think there's really a science. Like, uh, a lot of people can try and track metrics in human behavior, but like, there are some, whether it's just like if it's a social media post, there are some things to be like, I don't know why that took off. You know what I mean? And there's Mm -hmm. no way you can ever really know. It did something with the way people interacted with it and the algorithm that something happened. You know what I mean? But uh, some, yeah, I mean, that's also, that's kind of that lightning in a bottle thing that we go back to which is what I love about uh what our podcast does and what this one does too you know what I mean like is talking about these things to be like I don't know how it happened you know can't spend time doing it I just had to get in the arena and start trying stuff and that's how I got there you know Mm -hmm. uh and I think that's a really important guiding principle for at least uh, most of the musicians that I know right you're not going to sit there and think about how to practice that scale or think about how to write that song You pick up a guitar and you just start going, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and see what happens. And I mean, that's very much the kind of player I am, the kind of songwriter our band is as Wonder Years is. Certainly we get in a room and just battle it out and just start playing and see what happens. You know, Hundred percent. we'll take an idea, but we'll just keep turning it around and around and around in real time until we find something that works. And we'll say, wait, that was it. Okay, let's go back. Let's pull out that piece of gold and really make it a moment, you know. Mm hmm. So
1: yeah it's a it's a strange thing you know you talk about lightning in a bottle and you, you're you're much more likely to catch that lightning in a bottle if you go out during a thunderstorm you know there's there, you got to <laughs> keep throwing things out there you got to keep going and hopefully something resonates with somebody the the odds of succeeding when you're not putting things out consistently whatever that whatever that is it can be music it can be social media posts it can be whatever Consistency is really what pays off. Like this show's never really had a viral moment. It's never it's like oh this episode got four hundred thousand downloads right. all of yeah. a sudden. It's just consistency. Just keep doing yep. the thing. And there are, there are points where you got to pivot and you got to change things a little bit if something's not working. But overall, consistency is just so underrated. Even this day and age when that message has been pounded into people's heads, <laughs> I still find there's people who have a dream or have something they want to achieve in a similar space, and the consistency just isn't there. Yeah. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard to be motivated. It's hard to find time when it's not really paying off, but it, that's really the only secret.
3: Hi, I'm Vincent, and I'm here to talk about the Maris Mer- Mercury X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4800 Hz sample rate and 99 preset locations and 33 banks? And something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X. And all the other fine products at Marist.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, all now right, can I have my talkie?
1: How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label, but these days you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services, and it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than two bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to tone mob.com slash distro That's tone mob.com slash distro kid. One more time. That's tone slash distrokid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to tone mob.com slash distro and get your music out there.
2: <laughs> it's consistency. That's it, man. I- I've seen I've seen the difference be made too many times to count where bands that were that were probably way better than uh, you know what than my band and a lot of other bands that have had really long careers and they just like they hung it up a little earlier for whatever reason maybe maybe life got in the way and or you know they just said hey I can't sustain this anymore or I'm just not feeling it right yeah and that's totally true and then uh and I think uh that's also why a lot of what I uh preach and, and always like find myself coming back to talking with other bands is taking a long-term mindset to whatever it is you're doing, right? Like instead mm-hmm. of trying to be like, hey, this is this is the shiny brass ring that I'm looking for in the next week or that I'm looking for with this next like month of posts, take a take a stretched out kind of extrapolated view at like what am I, what things am I doing right now? And how are those ultimately going to help shape what I kind of want to be in five years, in 10 years as an artist, what I want people to think and feel about me, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and do they fit into that? Or are they just, you know, kind of distractions and not really helping that, you know, in their own way? Mm -hmm. So um, that's a really interesting exercise as well. But, you know, when it comes to music, yeah, you like you got to do it, dude. I always tell like any, any like. Band or other songwriter or just like general conversation, like, oh, you're a musician, you're a guitar player. It's like, yeah, I'm trying to write songs. You got any advice for me? I'm just like, go write a bunch of bad ones, finish yeah. <laughs> a bunch of bad ones. <laughs> yes, that's honestly the best advice I can give you. Why? Because that's literally what we had to do. It's the only way we got to writing anything that anybody remotely thought was good. Mm-hmm. You know, and then beyond that, the you know, <laughs> I, I I tend to believe a little bit. Um, you can't you can't really choose your fans. If you're making honest, authentic music that fulfills you as an artist, you can't choose exactly the people that are come going to come gravitate towards that. The music will ch- will choose that and and reach out itself. Now, don't make the mistake. I'm not saying if you release it on Spotify, the streams will come. This is not a Kevin Costner movie, right? You know, right. but um that's very that's very much not the case. You have to try to figure out how to, like, Mind the ideas and build them out and create experiences around them again that are that are worthwhile to people, you know, Um, but if it does get in front of an audience slowly one by one, the people that stick with it are going to be the ones that that start to get it and really resonate with it on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, the bigger picture in terms of how to build an audience, but also just how to like actually not try to get caught up in chasing a certain audience or a certain outcome from your music. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, cause then that's, I think that's where you get into trouble and start, start making, start making art for the wrong reason and start letting outside factors and shiny object syndrome, um, chip away at what you're actually able to give the world, you know? So mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of this stuff too,
1: we're we're speaking, I think, to this imaginary person who exists in, in a in a whatever like a career like I used to have, maybe, and wants yeah. to do something different. But also there's a lot and probably most people who listen to this show, they're cool with what they do for a living. You know, they they just really enjoy music in some form or fashion. And I think having the self awareness is so important. Yeah, of, Because I I have plenty of people who've reached out like, I really love your show and I really love when you guys talk about this stuff, but I'm cool, you know, being a machinist. I really like that. Yeah. I feel like sometimes we as creatives, it can sound like we're saying that, you know, always reaching for a career like this is the epitome of being or something when really what we're trying to do is talk
2: to people who are like us who can't really, can't really function otherwise. (laughs) It's, it's a thing that you got to do, right? Um, What was I just, I just saw this, um, this pull quote from somebody, some, uh, an interview somewhere where uh, it was the same thing. They were asking like a a legendary, I guess maybe it was a legendary producer or artist, you know, what advice you have for someone that wants to be a professional artist or a professional producer. And Mm -hmm. I think it was basically go find another career Um, because if you're meant to do this, you'll very quickly realize that you can't do anything but this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what that means is, uh, actually is an open door to exactly what you're describing. I think there are so many people out there that whatever their day job is, or, you know, actually enables them and allows them to maybe enjoy what they make and to make the best art they can make mm-hmm. in that way. You know, it doesn't mean uh, dude, also I say, it's like, people are like, well, I want to be a professional musician. Put your music up. If one person buys the album, you're a pro. You know what I mean? It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It's all, it's all kind of a relative thing. Now the difference is it's like some people are like, I would like my art to completely and fully self-sustain my entire, you know, life financially. That's a different thing. But that also is very, very rare. And I wake up every day kind of still wondering how did I get to that? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) and I know, and I've been there for the last 25 years. I know exactly what each, you know, kind of hurdle and obstacle was, but uh, yeah, man, I I still love that. And I embrace that. And some of the best people that I work with are those, are the kind of like weekend warriors where they're just like, yo, I, I actually see more of an excitement and enthusiasm when they talk about songwriting and the things that they do. Then in some other people that are bands out there that are constantly touring and are kind of done with it. You mentioned yeah. you, that you knew initially that you're like I just don't have the build for, you know, to travel all the time and be touring and road tripping. It would That's ruin incredible. It for me. Most it would bands think for me. right, most mm-hmm. bands and a lot of musicians and I'm just lucky that I found a way to kind of adapt to it. But it's uh it's a thing where it's that kind of grass is greener mentality where Hey, the idea of what it means to be in a successful rock and roll band or, you know, be like a a super famous guitar player, you might get there and not like a lot of those, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of what that means. You know, it's not all, it's not always sunshine and rainbows, you know, <laughs> you have to sacrifice a lot, you know, a lot. um, and some people are cool with that and it's totally worth it and, and find meaning and fulfillment in that. Uh, I love it and appreciate it because, um, it's brought me to a point where I think I've learned a lot about myself that I couldn't have otherwise by -hmm. doing that, both as a musician, as a creator, and just as a person that is empathetic and wants to find ways to help other people. And now it's afforded me a lot of tools and insights that I can use and and be equally as fulfilled, um, in doing so. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, It's not, uh, there is no real, like your definition of success is your own, right? If we're talking in like home goods wall art that your mom buys, right. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) but I, but there is a truth to that. And I think that's awesome because I think this show, especially what you're doing is probably speaking to so many of those people that honestly, I know, I know this is a guitar show are probably better guitar players than I am. And I'll be the first to admit it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, if If we talk about like, hey, put me up against like some serious like freestyle blues guys, I'm losing that battle 10 out of 10 times. But I learned early on, it's like, hey, you don't need a lot of notes. You just need a couple and how to like, and how to know how to use them in a really compelling way. And I really leaned hard into that with the way I write (laughs) songs and the way I play, you know? Um, So (laughs) luckily for me, um, I was not deterred by, you know, realizing that. And yeah, my growth was maybe stunted a little bit in terms of, you know, practicing scales, uh, you know, for eight hours a day. And, the uh, the industry is rife with people out there that did <laughs> put the eight hours a day in and the results are unreal, <laughs> um, you know? So uh, I, I love that. And honestly, I say it like when I was 14, maybe some of the, the most important parts of my origin story, actually getting into musician and, and things more than anything that really maybe make you think it's somewhat feasible or possible, mm-hmm. or it's even an option, um, was actually the fact that I came into proximity way too early on in my career as like a songwriter. I was 14. I was horrible. (laughs) Um, but I was, I was taking a swing. Like it was way out of my league at at writing some, like, you know, pop songs and listening to too much alternative specialty radio in, uh, in the late nineties. Um, but uh, through like uh, a person that worked with my father, uh, who was an incredible world class musician, he would worked with a guitar player by the name of Greg Howe, who is like on oh, yeah. uh, an unreal tier. Yeah, um, insane. Uh, yeah, 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 truly. And um, and so he had like a a home studio in in Pennsylvania, not you know not far from where I grew up, and we ended up there. You know, I still don't know to this day why he took the time <laughs> to. You know, to do it, to like track a demo and or like the couple songs, we got in there very quickly. It's like they I mean, I can't even I couldn't even sew this together, you know, with a golden needle. Right. <laughs> um, but he, he kind of took it aside and at least gave me a little bit, of, a little bit of the time of day to say, hey, I think there's potential here. Right. You know, um, mm-hmm. and even just taking that. And then I did get to see, um, you know, him like play real time. And it gives you that, that threshold of, like, Oh, this is what it means to be professional. This is what I have to. And I, and a lot of people don't get those kind of like, you know, <laughs> baptism by fire, like seeing somebody that's that good that early on in their career to know that. So you go, you know, maybe walk through the next decade, teenager into your twenties before you really hit somebody that's a professional and say, this is the level that people function at, <laughs> you know, that are, that are, are really making it out there. And I was lucky to have that and have somebody that it gave me even just a small time of day, you know, um, then I was like, he sees something in there. It's not definitely not ready yet. <laughs> but um, <laughs> and I think that's so important. I think that's why I'm drawn to, you know, mentorship and and trying to to give it back, even if it's just a little bit of feedback on somebody being like, hey, can you listen to my thing? Be like, hey, it's great. Um, the vocals are really cool. I, I think some of the other arrangement stuff, you know, could use some work. Um, and if I'm the only one to tell you that, I hope you don't think it's mean. But I, I, I say that because I was told those things really early on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very big part of what kept me going to get through those hurdles <laughs> and and get talented enough and learn how to play some octaves and power chords in some slightly more interesting ways, you know? Right,
1: right. Yeah, it's a – when you're starting out, you know, you have very little reference for what it means to be a professional musician. You can watch you know, Eddie Van Halen shred your face off and you're like, is that what I need to learn to do? Or you can watch – A singer songwriter kind of just strumming some chords. Is that is that it? And the answer is like, yeah, you can do any of those things. It's all of them. As a kid, you don't really know where to head. And I think a lot of us just end up heading wherever our inspirations lie. And I think that's the best course of action ultimately. But it can be really daunting, you know, because sitting there like I want to play guitar professionally. Yep. Well, what does that mean? I play guitar professionally now, but I don't play. I mean, I have played on people's records here and there, but that's not like my main thing that I mm-hmm. do. I make content. I get paid sometimes to make that content. And it's, it's so I guess if I'm getting paid to make the content, I'm playing guitar in the content. I guess I'm a professional musician now. Dude, it's, it's weird to think about, but there's so own- many levels and so many ways to to get into this industry. And that's something I wish I understood as a kid too. You don't have to be the guy on stage, right? Yeah. You could be the producer. You could be the sound guy. You could be whatever you want to. There's so many roles and so many different ways to be a part of the music industry. If that's what you're really passionate about that aren't the person
2: on stage. Yeah. Yeah. Blake. Uh, Totally. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it's kind of like what, what we were just saying where, um, you know, your music eventually like finds the audience that it's meant for in its Mm -hmm. own way and sticks with them as, as you, you know, come across their radar. I think it's the same way where like the genre or the, the lane that you're meant to evolve in also finds you, you know, a lot of things come across your plate, but you know, maybe you're just like, Oh, this is the, the thing that just, uh, completely blows my mind and i just Mm -hmm. can't not know more about it and consume more about it whether that's metal whether that's like you know the dylan-esque like poetic like kind of lyricism of like classic rock like country folk americana or whether it's something completely instrumental and experimental you see a lot in these generations where all it takes is some kid getting like one piece of very small proprietary software and that's their whole world and that frames exactly how they think about the idea of creating. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I think it's awesome. And I think those things find you, right? My dad for me, it was he had an old 70s jazz bass because he played in a classic rock band uh in the 70s. And that was pretty much that in like a 215 um Ampeg B25 stack yeah. they had left over from that era. Truly for me, Um, and I still like we, there was an acoustic guitar that was pretty busted and beat up that that was collecting dust around the house, but it wasn't until I took that heavy ass bass out of the case. They really don't make them as heavy as they used to, or I was just (laughs) four feet tall at the time. And you know, it felt like a sack of bricks, but, um, for me, (laughs) it was the first time I was like, wait, do we like, does that work dad? And he's like, I don't even know. It's been 30 years. Right. Um, (laughs) pull it out in the attic, you know, find something, plug it in. Um, see like the back, the tubes lighting up. I'm like, is that, is that right? Is it broken? Good. No, that's. he's like, that's right. Um, I don't know how long this is going to last or what's, you know, um, and then you plug it in and like play a note and it shook the house, like windows rattling in this, uh, in in this old house that we lived in at dude, I think that was it for me. I was like, I was like, this is a thing that people can do. Um, mm-hmm. oh, you can, yeah. I can play with this like that. Th- this thing can make that. And, uh, you know, here we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's one of those moments. See, like some
1: people and I understand what they mean when they say this, but I. I don't n- agree like at all obviously and I'm on the far other end of the spectrum. Some people are like, "Well, oh, the gear doesn't matter, man. The gear doesn't matter. It's all in the fingers." And I understand the concept. I get it. I'm never going to sound like Mark Knopfler. Even if I have his exact signal chain. I'm never going to sound like him ever. But I think the gear matters more than people want to give credit to. Everybody wants to say, oh, it's all in the hands. It's all in the practice. And, it's, and I always say, if that was true, Cannibal Corpse would play ukuleles because it does matter to some degree. And sometimes those moments like what you experienced, like if you had never had that happen, it may have not had the impact on you. You know, the first time I heard downtuned, distorted guitars, I was like, oh, that's for me. I yeah. got to have more of that. How do I do that? And my dad didn't know, which literally sent me down the journey of like trying to figure out how to make downtuned,
2: distorted guitar riffs for the rest of my life. I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, I did. Um, I did an interesting uh, episode in in this season of the record process uh, with uh, an incredible musician. Named Skyler Accord, who um, who was in a band called Issues, and he plays bass for Twenty One Pilots on on, on tour, um, and he's involved in a number of other really awesome projects. He's an incredibly um, talented player, and we were talking about his solo record that has a ton of like funk and old school, like pop and almost R and adjacent stuff in there, a ton of really cool eclectic influences that he sewed together that are uniquely him and, and mm-hmm. his back background. And we got to talking about gear. Right. And he said something really profound where it's like the gear you have, that's your sound. Even if it's like the thing early on, like learn how to use it and make every possible sound out of it you can. Mm-hmm. And that's actually – it's not good or bad. It's what comes back to informing what will you be uniquely your choice of a sound of what is good and bad, even if it's just like learning – you know, on a shitty like Casio toy piano, that's something about that is going to stick with you. And you're going to want to use that in some ways. Something if you have your first guitar is a classical acoustic guitar, that may very well inform the way that you like to finger, take a finger picking approach, right? Because that's the Mm -hmm. first thing that you, you know, that when you came online that really moved you in some way. And, and, or if it's like a weird chorus pedal, that's, you know, like a $15 piece of junk, that doesn't matter. Like when you turn that thing on in the studio, nobody's like that thing. Like how many people, this is a, you know, a very gear centric show. How many people out there have read articles or listened to other people talk about, yeah, that song that every, you know, that sound that everybody's like, what made that is the crappiest piece of <laughs> in the chain. You know what I mean? Like, and everyone, everybody wants to be like, oh man, I got to go get that $30,000 mic. It's like, I don't know. A lot of cool stuff has been made on not that and just The basic 57 or Mm -hmm. something even worse, you know, um, or talk about pedals. It's just like, dude, you find one distortion pedal and you figure out how to make it work, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and you figure out how to make it do something that really compels you and makes you play better. Right. I'm a firm believer in the sound of something definitely impacts the way you play you oh, know yeah gain staging i'm talking if, if we're talking to guitar players they already know this you know but there's like a gentleness we also ha- just had um actually um another episode is a friend of mine jay moss who's a great producer but he was in a band a hardcore band called defeater um mm-hmm. it was kind of like a concept uh hardcore band from boston and um And he really went into, uh, you know, the idea of finding that right subtle thing where the energy and the breakup of the way you're tracking is in the hands is in the strumming. You know what I mean? Like you're deciding with the strum, how hard to push the front end of the amp. And if you want to change that, you put something in the signal path, right? All that. And I'm, it's such a firm believer. I think a lot of people are like, yeah, well, it's just all the electronics. Nah. Mm. It's not. You know what I mean? The same person will pick up that guitar and do something completely different with it um, based on how that sound is affecting them, you know, and, yep. and inherently where they go. So yeah, the gear is the gear is important in that sense, in in an inspirational sense, I think. Right. Yeah. Um it's not to say that you need one thing over the other. It's about how you use it. <laughs> it's about how you use it, man. Kurt yep. Cobain changed the
1: world with the DS1, the cheapest thing on the planet at the time, basically. Perfect. Like, the pinnacle you know? of
2: that example. Right, exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds great. I'm actually working on a little clip today. I, I People always getting down on the metal zone i'm like no man no that's great that's a great pedal yeah yeah you just gotta i know it's fun to malign and i know we all made terrible sounds with it back in the 90s and early 2000s but that pedal is fantastic if you use it in the right context and you pay attention to that eq the problem is is it's it's so flexible of an eq it's easy to make it sound bad yeah because you can do all kinds of things with it but it's a Mm -hmm. great pedal I didn't believe I, – I bought into the anti-metal zone hype for a long time. I am very pro-metal zone. <laughs> Dude, I will tell I you.
2: Um, I was just uh, on a call with him this morning catching up. But um, a producer by the name of Steve Evitz who we've done four records with now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's done like Dillinger Escape Plan, uh, like Saves a Day, L- Lifetime, Snapcase, like a bunch of awesome – Punk and rock and metal records, and he's worked with some of the best guitar players and drummers in the world, and um and then he's also worked with me and uh, us, which <laughs> I we're we're not bad, I suppose, but you know what I mean, like nah, up you guys are some great. up against mm-hmm. some of those heavy hitters mm-hmm. that can uh, shred circles around us. It's a little different, but the genre is different and it calls for different stuff, right? They spent yep. their time differently. They did the eight hours, <laughs> you know, um, and stuck to it. So. Um, but the, the reason I say this is because it's made its way on every record, and he I think he would give me permission in this forum to let this um, gear cat out of the bag, so to speak. But the secret weapon that every time – and we we came back to do this fourth record, and we were like, Steve, it better be there. He's like, what? I was like, Steve, you know what? Thor's hammer. <laughs> Thor's hammer better be there, Steve. Mm-hmm. We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the gear exchange.
1: You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the gear exchange, You can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby because, let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fun new gear purchases. And that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff.
0: Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chase Bliss Audio Lossy. Lossy is a collaboration between Chase Bliss and Good Hertz. Well, it's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with the compressed audio. You're getting it right now. all the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my playing dance. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about lossing, i invite you to head over to www.chaseblissaudio.com going to
2: like what you find um now thor's hammer is this old school japanese made pedal Mm -hmm. and it's like and i say this and it's going to be one of those things where it's like you can't really find it and you know how gear goes everybody it's like you know it goes in waves and then one person that's got a huge following you know tweets a picture of it and then all of a sudden they're like a thousand dollars on reverb you know (laughs) um or you can't find them right but i'm not i've never done that (laughs) <laughs> oh, dude. Honestly, that's some inside trading. I, I, I think you just admitted to, but, um, so, uh, Thor's hammer is basically this fan. It just has like four knobs, like a contour, a base, a tone, you know, a tone, whatever, dude, it's, bro- I'm pretty sure this pedal is broken. Right. Uh, first of all, also, and, <laughs> yep. but that's like, but it does the most thing that you could like, and like it's this weird distortion feedback thing. And it's been on every single one of our records. It's effectively the like a, what we call button. I hope, you know, this is if you censor this show, dude, which I don't (laughs) think is a problem, but you know, um, we'll, we'll take care of it. Don't you? Yeah, dude, this is, yeah, this is normally not me, but you have me really elevated right now. (laughs) Um, but, um, yeah, I normally try to keep it clean for the kids, you know? Um, but, uh, I mean, that's effectively what it is. And dude, it just, you can't replace it. And I'm what, pretty sure what because is it it's called, what? what is it? It's, um, oh, I, I will get back to you and you can put a, we'll try and put a picture of it in the show notes because okay. I've only like, literally I can picture it, but I've, I think it's just like a fender distortion pedal, like a, like a okay. really old like thing from the eighties or whatever. And it's Japanese made, um, but oh, I, I yeah, I've never found one anywhere because he's also been always perpetually on the hunt for one. And then we actually had a friend from uh, Baltimore um, Sonic Research Institute um, come in and actually like, oh, yeah. kind, kind yeah, of do I've a heard thing. About them. Yeah, man, mm-hmm. yeah, um, he's a cool dude. So he came to the studio when they were using it, and Steve had it with him, and I think he's trying to. I don't know. Uh, maybe I shouldn't talk. So wait a minute. Is this. it is
1: it the Fender FDS ninety? Ooh,
2: let me. I'll look it up. Um, Let's see if I can. You can see it on here. Does that look? Does that look right? Um, no. 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 Not it's not. It's not that one. Um, but I, I promise you, I will send it, and I or I'll text Steve right after this, and he'll send me a picture of it or know exactly what it is. All right. We'll, we'll um, make sure the people know. We'll let the, the yeah the people it. know. But anyway, <laughs> we affectionately refer to it, and Steve has for as long as he's had it as Thor's hammer. I love it. And. That's a perfect example. It just makes you do something different through it as a guitar player when you turn that thing on. So, Mm uh, so I love it. And there have been plenty of other things over the years. Steve is a very, very much commit my committing minded, uh, engineer and producer. He comes from that school of nope, we get the sound and we do it. We don't, we're not going to leave it for later. Like we're going to find it and love it right now and print it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, he's definitely instilled the power of that in us as engineers and, and producers and guitar players. So, you know, um, that's a very old school
1: approach versus what a lot of people do now. There's a lot of, you know, ah, we'll throw different plugins on it here and there, which is fine. There's
2: nothing wrong with that, but I, I, I do some of that too. Yeah. I do that. I do a lot of like in the box stuff in my productions cause I play around, but I'm always trying to, there's always gotta be some context. I'm always, I'm never just doing that willy nilly. If I'm doing that, it's because I'm trying to fit something and sew something in to, The picture that's already there that's already sketched out you know um Mm -hmm. and it's saying oh we went we went somewhere a little different with the vocals or you know the overall arrangement with this so the thing we printed there we maybe we went a little heavy-handed, and I I'm just trying to dial it back. So I might reamp it and and try something in the box real quick or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, and that's not to say that we don't take DI's when we track. We do, you of know, course, um, of course, yeah. Um, but it's it's to potentially reamp them if there is an issue, or like I said, we want to kind of you know drastically change the sound. In some way. Do so you have so, a
1: go-to that you like? I know I'm probably gonna reamp it through this orange or whatever. Is there something
2: you kind of know? No, you're I'm not going reamping it. I'm always playing through my uh Marshall Silver series Jubilee. That's well, been sure. my amp. Yeah. Um, it still has actually the the markings for each of our last like two records in in different colored pencil on the thing. So I can still look <laughs> at like there's greatest generation, there's suburbia. Um and uh but that yeah, I mean that thing through an orange four twelve has been with a Les Paul and just stock you know like 57 like pickups or maybe like um like burst bucker mm-hmm. whatever dude that's it that is me i um i i play a lot of fender stuff too but it, it you know for the majority of what we do. And, and I love octaves that, you know, I'll nerd out very briefly. And obviously you're a string guy. (laughs) Um, you know, uh, we, we detuned and we've, we've gone, we've sunk a little lower for the sake of vocal range over the years. Sure, some do our singer is, is a serious belter and, um, and playing longer and longer sets as our career has gone on, that takes a toll and that's tough. And so now we've settled in primarily drop C um, or, you know, D standard. And I play a 12 to 56 with a wound 24 gauge, you know, um, Very nice. to support some nice octave intonation. Also fact, uh, that is relevant to all of that. There are three guitar players in our band. We don't just put one of them on tracks like a lot of other bands. Um, so getting the intonation right across three guitars is, is sometimes hairy. So we learned that that's, that's a little bit of a, of a boost there as well. Definitely.
1: Yeah, that, that uh, in my old band, we had three guitarists as well. And we had three guitarists who were all giant gear nerds. So no it boy. was like it was very the, the, the one record we did. It, it was kind of ridiculous, but like, but it was fun. It was fun. But we, we yeah. took up so much time chasing tones, which was, I mean, I guess partially what led me to have my current career. So I'm not mad at it at all, but we would literally set up each other's rigs so it would be like we'd we brought every pedal that we own we brought every amp that we own to the studio we had just this enormous corner of stuff to select from and would be like okay on this song i want to play my les paul he's and then that would mean okay that means i'm going to play my strat that means i'm going to play my telecaster and and then we would set up each other's pedal chain like yeah i think you should use this 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 and this okay yeah, i think you should use this this and this and it was a fun approach because it took you a little bit out of your comfort zone, but yeah. they, but we're all friends and we know each other well enough to know like, yeah, this is the big muff that you need, you know, for this particular song. And, Oh, I wouldn't have thought about that one. I would have went for this one, but yes, you're totally right. This works in the context of everything else. So that was a, it was a lot to deal with, but the I, all that to say is I understand the three guitar uh, yeah. problem slash it's, it's wonderful, but it's also, Right, it, it it adds some extra wrenches in the gears you got to iron out.
2: With great power comes great responsibility. Uh, as a player, <laughs> is what I've settled on over the years. And we and it, it's you know we've we've struggled kind of trying to find our way and how to make it work and, and be tasteful. I think uh, on our album Sister Cities, uh, that was produced by uh, a guy named Joe Ciccarelli, who is uh, a monster in in the rock world and just mm-hmm. in the in the greater music world at large. He's done everything from like white stripes to like morrissey to you know i mean just the, honestly his discography it's it's, stupid. it's ridiculous. I, I can't even yeah. believe that he that he took the call let alone you know was into the idea of making a rock record with us but we did and we did it out at sunset sound uh, in la And, um, that one we tracked, you know, like 80, 85% of it, we tracked live all in the live room at studio one, which is like, you're seeing like pictures of like the doors and all the, like all this other stuff you're like, uh, yeah. Um, but we, that's (laughs) kind of the process that you're describing is kind of exactly what, uh, myself, Matt and Nick kind of went through, um, with like talking each song, we would take about a half a day and set up the exact sound and tone and balance, and everything was going all at once. So we would track down and run through full band with our singer, like doing a scratch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we would come in and he would pull everything up on the console and he's listening in real time. And then once we got got it to a point, the way that he was massaging things was, was not even necessarily 100% on his end in the console or, you know, with outboard stuff, but he would go in and be like, Matt, can you, um, can you just dial back the tone, like blow on the tone knob to the left on that big muff for that section? It's just a little bright, um, Mm -hmm. or like, Hey Nick, can you, um, you know, Are you on the neck pickup? Of course you are. Uh, It's snowing in Nick's channel again, uh, you know, or whatever. It'd be like, okay, cool. Let's, you know, let's massage all these, all of these things based on the arrangement and based on what we're doing. And then if we had to, you know, obviously go back and, and put some extra bells or whistles on or something really is like, Hey, we got it. We need a cleaner. It's just not going to fit unless we kind of overdub that section specifically or double it for a reason. But, uh, but that's how we did every song on that record, you know? And so by the time we, we got to the end of it and got the take or two. To, after doing a couple you know times ripping through it, we'd come back in and you would hear effectively what would be 90% of that song exactly mm-hmm. as you want it and just know that it's working pre-mixed. you know what I mean like hasn't been touched or brought out of the box you know yet you know or into somebody's like mixed template. It was just is this working right off the board in that moment? And, and that's, that was kind of our way of, you know, committing, uh, and knowing that, um, that we were onto it. So we learned a lot from that approach as well, because the, you know, the artistry and the sculpting was done primarily across, you know, our two or even three pedal boards with, you know, setting up a bass sound and, and a bass rig and, um, and having the layers and, and miking the right cab and, and putting some like, you know, blending some fuzz and doing all the fun stuff that you do with the low end. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, it was a. Uh, it was a really great. It's experiences like that that make you appreciate why those early records, before computers were even in play, why they sound so good. Because people are like, "Does this sound make me feel something?" And just feel like it belongs here. Yeah, then I'm not mm-hmm. going to spend another two days trying to carve it out. You know, right. um, so it's important. That's cool to hear because that is exactly how we did that
1: record as yeah. well. We, we we tracked everything. It was like like you said, eighty five, ninety percent done track-wise, right out of the box. There was some, add some leads, do some different things later, of course, and then scratch vocals, like you said. But the most of the song was done when we did it. And yeah, it might take 47 takes or whatever, but it, it, that's how we tracked everything for that record. And there was definitely things done in post. I'm not saying there wasn't, but I really enjoyed, it was it was hard. I mean, we were up till, we, we had a limited amount of time. You know, I, I literally yeah. took a week off of work and was like, this is what, how I'm spending my vacation this year, basically. Yeah. Uh, and so we had a very limited amount of time. So we were up till two, three in the morning, like every single day, trying to get as much done on it as we possibly could just to get it done.
2: So, yeah, that's a sometimes fun time. That's, sometimes that's what it takes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think if you if you live in, inside this business and, and make music long enough you know exactly what it is like to burn the candle at both ends, you know, mm-hmm. and you can only do that for so long. Um, you know, cause I think at a certain point, the end result might suffer a little bit or your, your judgment might suffer, you know, your sure. fatigue and, and all that. But yeah, man, you gotta, you gotta chase it. And while you're in the moment, sometimes you, you just gotta, you know, bear down and, and get through it. So that's good. It's oh, a good 100%. lesson. Yeah. Well, hey, we
1: are uh, reaching the end of the episode. And look, we did get Gear Talk, people. Look at that. I thought we might be just waxing poetic the whole time, but we really. Uh... <laughs> we snuck it in there on him. We, yeah, we, they got, didn't, we yeah. got it.
2: Yeah. We yeah. got all, we got everybody else. They just, you know, uh, they skipped out of the episode and missed out on the good stuff. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but if you did stick, uh, if you did stick to the end through, through uh, everything we mentioned, you're definitely uh, at least you're definitely my people probably. Um, and the kind of people that I'd like to hang and and riff with. So yeah, that's awesome. Absolutely. Well, I got a couple classic questions. I
1: like to wrap the episodes up on. Before we slide over to Patreon and see what kind of nonsense we can get into over there, but before I do that, I'd like to give the guests the opportunity to take the floor. You can shout out anybody you want to shout out. You can say hi to your grandma. you can do whatever you want to do right now now is now is your time to shine.
2: oh man Whew. um. Well, unfortunately, my grandmother is no longer with us, but oh. wherever she is, I will shout her out because she was an incredible woman. Um, she made a mean pasta dish. Um, nice. She was Italian as hell. Um But, uh, you know, I will, I, I mentioned, um, I mentioned Steve Evans. I'll shout him out real quick just because he's, he's top of mind and he's, he's been a really great friend and a a cool mentor that, um, I've learned a lot from and learned a lot with over the course of making four albums together. You know what I mean? He's pretty much like a, almost the closest thing we have to a seventh member in a lot of ways, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that's important and, uh, we've been the same lineup, um, for, like I said, you know, almost, I think 19 years, we're going on 19 years now. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, and I don't think you get that unless you have a certain, um, group of people that are also able to grow and adapt and find their place around each other. So it is kind of in the same way, you know, family and your relationships go in and out and, and might change, uh, I think that it's something you find people I was, and I, we were lucky enough to find people in high school that, uh, as it turns out, we were able to grow with (laughs) into our 30, you know, into our thirties. And, and Steve was one of those people that we met in, you know, in our twenties and had made some influential records already in his career and, um, that we really shared a commonality in, uh, and a nice, uh, East coast, like New Jersey esque bread, um, (laughs) you know, kind of sense of humor that I think he really took a shine to when he first met us. And, and we, we couldn't get rid of him since. (laughs) So, um, but, but we're very happy about that. So I'll shout him out. Um, he's a good friend. And then, yeah, the rest of my band, like I said, um, in that band, I'm, I'm one sixth of an equation that makes, stuff that, uh, I'm very grateful to report seems to have impacted some people out there pretty heavily. And that fact is not lost on me. There's not a day in our career that it is, uh, it still doesn't astound me that we're here and doing it, um, and still doing it really hard and really well and putting out records that people still seem to like, you know, um, that's, I know I realize how rare that is and I'm, I'm pretty, pretty grateful for it. So I'll shout the rest of them out too, as we, as we exit here. Yeah, so well, you
1: guys are a great band. So that was half the reason I was like, "Well, I think what you're doing with the podcast is great, but I already like the band, so let's chat." You know, it was uh, I was I was really happy to be able to do this, and this is really cool for me as well. So yeah, shout out the Wonder Years. Everybody, go oh. check them out. Cheers. If, Thanks. Blake. I'm guessing a lot of people already have, but if you haven't, go check them out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We'll get into the classic questions. We'll wrap this section of the show up. So first one is. What is your favorite boss pedal?
2: Ooh, honestly, I think it's, um, well, so the first, the first pedal that I ever had in general, even pre, uh, Jim Dunlop Wah, um, that I should not have had, uh, and had no business, uh, (laughs) being in front of me at like 14, uh, was the DS one. Mm -hmm. that doesn't say that's not as great as the metal zone though uh let's be clear um so DS one fan so but uh (laughs) but it did it it did a thing and it was a good learning ground and it has its own charm to it um i think actually some of the boss choruses are awesome but specifically um the the ps6 um Mm, mm -hmm. is uh, i threw that and had that on my board ever since i think like since no closer to heaven, maybe. And I've used that in some really cool ways. And it's a thing where I keep finding use for it. And now we've actually, um, we've gone to the dark, dark and digital side and for live, (laughs) uh, not necessarily in the studio, but for live, we, um, we run, uh, Helix, uh, rigs, actually, uh, Helix fly rigs. And, I have crafted pretty much um, in the same order and layout as my analog board. And that is the staple, um, you know, having that kind of tap tempo synced, um, you know, manually to songs and sections that I I really love playing with that. Um, Sub question, you pair that with a pog or a pitch shifter um, Mm -hmm. and drop the octave. Ooh, that's that's my that's. That's a couple of my leads on this new record, especially and over the last, you know, like five, six years. So but that pedal where I was like, are you kidding me? Um, and so and I remember even when we were writing and I first put that on my board, I was like, I got to stop. I can't just keep <laughs> going back to this. Um, so it's also dangerous with great power, um, with great whammy power and pitch shift power. Um great responsibility so that's my favorite boss one though because it Mm because it was super formative into the things that i like to play with yeah very very cool
1: that's a that's a fairly popular answer it's not one i get every time but it pops up at least a couple times a year is the ps6 or the ps3 yeah
2: Uh, what do you think uh what do you think is the most popular so the tuner the tuners Uh, uh, the two or the the three do people like the three uh there doesn't seem to
1: be a lot of (laughs) distinction Yeah, I think most people are referring to the two. I have talked to a few people who use the three, but either way, it's like that's by far the most
2: common answer is the TU two. Okay, cool. I um, I use the oh, what was it the um the, the, the TC Polytune for mm-hmm. a while that I, I like the accuracy of, I think it's probably a little, maybe a little mm-hmm. more accurate than the boss stuff. Um, I, I forget the exact like, um, you know, ratio and reading, but, um, I did like that. And actually there, you can't understate the importance and the power of a tuner for of course the obvious reasons, but also, um, I, I put one my volume pedal starts at the beginning of my chain. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can swell into a bunch of effects. And then I always had that tuner, um, put on the end of it actually. And for a while, it was not just like bypassed or, you know, running um, all the time in a, in a separate loop, uh, which I know some people really like to do. But I ran it at the end and I used it as a kill switch for a while before I really started, you know, started building something out. And we have a ton of like really big, like huge wall of sound swell and then quick, like cut mute, like for dramatic effect mm-hmm. type stuff. So that that became like a, I was like, oh, well, I can just put my tuner there and I can do that pretty easily and pretty quickly and dirtily. Uh, dirtily, um, yeah, quick and dirty. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. And so, uh, so I love, so for a while that was really, you know, really important and, and makes it, and makes a big difference. You know what I mean? I, I tell a lot of them, I'm just like, dude, you don't need a lot and just make, Make whatever moment you can with what you have and sometimes dynamics and uh, are the best way to do that. You know, Mm -hmm. the mute button can also be a mixer's best friend or a producer's best friend, you know, clear it out and see what really rocks. And if you don't need it, get it out of there. Mm -hmm. Well, the mute buttons, I think I don't want to say it's it's half the reason to
1: have a tuner pedal. Obviously, the main reason is for tuning. But so many people. Use them as mute buttons. It's a yeah. very common yeah. use case. Uh, I interviewed Henry uh, from Starcrawler, and he has. I posted his boards. I shared a picture of his boards because he's, he's got these awesome all pink pedal boards. Mm. And on he has two boards, you know, one for each rig, but they both had two tuners on them. And everyone was like, I guess he never goes out of tune. Well, the reason he did that was because he had two kill switches for different signal paths was the whole reason why he was doing it. But yeah, very, very common use case. And yeah, shout out Boss. I I, I believe they they were certainly the most common pedal tuner ever, and it kind of just become ubiquitous with every single guitarist ever.
2: They were (laughs) everywhere and they had a, they had a very nice spring loaded feel to them. Very, very satisfying to step on it. mm -hmm. Not, not as satisfying as like the latching or, you know, like the, you know, the, the polytune esque, uh, switches, but, um, it had their own thing and I always really liked it. mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right. Now, since I know for sure that you have an Italian background, this is where this next question gets a little bit dicey, a little bit controversial.
2: Okay. what is your favorite kind of pizza? Ooh, honestly, a great one. Um, you know, recently, uh, I've really, I've really found my lane in like a nice black olive mushroom mm-hmm. with or without green pep. Um, you know, it, it can, that can come or go honestly, but the, the mushroom black olive thing. Which I think is it, maybe more so, maybe um, next to like a serious sausage pizza is maybe the, like the most Italian thing I can picture, um, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. I love that. I, I always like some veggies on a pizza. Yeah. Do you like a thin crust or the thicker crust? You got a favorite pizzeria? Anything I like. like that? it. Listen, I think as a true Italian would probably agree with me. At least I hope. Uh, the secret to a pizza, it's a, in the sauce and. Um, and for me, if you get the right sauce, then then I then I want that sauce to come through. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, sometimes that's a little tougher on like a thin crust or whatever. So I want whatever base supports the correct amount of sauce. Okay. That's my answer.
1: All right. That's fair. That's fair. Well, dude, thank you so much for hanging out. I know you got some things to take care of and we'll, uh, we'll try to slide over to Patreon and see what other kind of nerdery we can get into before you got to get out of here. Awesome. Look forward to it. Let's do it. All right. All right. Sweet. All right, everybody, for Casey, this is Blake, and as as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, everybody, there you have it. There's another one in the can. I hope you enjoyed that episode, and please do check out The Record Process. It is a really, really good podcast. I've had a chance to dive in even further in the time since Casey and I recorded this, and I give it my large, big, fat old stamp of approval. It's really a great show. If you like this one, you're probably gonna like that one, too. It's a little bit of a different thing, but it also has some similarities in that it's talking to music people about making music. So that's always a good thing. And if you'd like to hear more chatting with Casey and myself, you can go over to Patreon. patreon Patreon.com slash ToneMob, where for just five bucks a month, you can help support this show and get extra episodes beamed right to your ears every single week. Five bucks will also get you access to the ad-free feed so you don't have to deal with the ads. Three bucks a month will get you the ad-free feed on its own if that's really what you're after. And I totally understand if that's the case. But if not, this show will be back next week with more chatting. And don't forget, there's an entire massive back catalog of stuff for you to check out. So, do I have anything else? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I would be remiss if I didn't remind everyone about the guitar giveaway that is happening. There is a guitar giveaway happening, and that is through Stringjoy. We are giving away a American Professional jazz Jazzmaster this month, and we are giving away a guitar every month, all summer long. All you have to do is go purchase anything from stringjoy.com, have an active subscription, purchase something from the dealers. So if you have a favorite local store that carries Stringjoy, just go ahead and purchase from them and send us your receipt. All the details and all the rules are available on the homepage of the StringJoy website. Go to StringJoy.com and you will see all of that good stuff. This is not affiliated with Fender in any way, shape, or form, by the way. This is totally on our own, out of our own pockets. So if you'd like to get the best strings in the world for your guitar and possibly win a new one, go to StringJoy.com and check it out. All right, let's wrap this thing up. You've got other things to do. I'll talk to you on the internet very, very soon.
2: Bowie, Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that make titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Meyers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their
1: lives. New
2: episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now, wherever
1: you get your podcasts.
0: Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show.